The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And We've actually been seeing some of our podcasts and actually some of our newsletters. For some of you that don't know that we write a weekly newsletter that goes out to our LinkedIn audience as well as email. We have it in both places for you that like each. And in those newsletters, we will talk about, we have some original content that we talk about that highlights something important that's happened that week. It's a weekly newsletter and we share some insights. Some of those things we share on the podcast, and we'll actually do that for you here today. Let's talk about something that we talked about in our newsletter. But also in the newsletter, we highlight some of the news, some of the things that have happened in the past week, and we comment on it and say, well, this is why you should probably be aware of that. And uh, so you should subscribe to that as well. We have a lot of ways of getting this content out. So if you like the podcast, and we hope you love the podcast and share the podcast, then please uh, do that. But then also sign up for the free newsletter, either by going to um, the best ways to go to our LinkedIn page at linkedin.com slash company or something. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes so that you can all check it out. And if you don't follow us on LinkedIn, make sure to do so because we do regularly put that link in there so that you can subscribe as well. Or you can always sign up for our newsletter at Cognolitica.com. That's also a way to get it. Yeah. So uh, so as mentioned, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about these things because the things that are happening now in the world of AI are really very impactful, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is AI Today, right? Which is why we want to be sharing the news so that you can stay relevant with what's going on. And we also want to talk about hot topics that are currently uh, should be on everybody's mind if they're not, especially if your organization is looking to, you know, run AI projects, adopt AI, um, and really make sure that you are learning from others, because that's what the point of our podcast is, and Cognolytica as well, because we really want to make sure that you are learning from others so you don't get burned. I think that's why our our AI Failure Series podcast was so incredibly popular. But on today's podcast, we want to talk about the increasingly anti-competitive world of AI and open source AI. So what could possibly go wrong when you embed someone else's AI models in your systems? I mean, seriously, right? Well, quite a lot. And we talked a little bit about this on previous podcasts that we'll link to. We, We had a podcast, How to Not Get Screwed with Generative AI, and I'll link to that in the show notes if you haven't listened to it. But a lot can go wrong, especially when you have little control or visibility into those models. Yet, despite the increasingly walled garden that is becoming the large language models, such as OpenAI's ChatGPT, organizations are creating and embedding AI solutions powered by these third-party models, and they really do have very little visibility and control into them. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about that all the time. They sprinkle in a little bit of generative AI, but really what they mean is that they're adding calls to things like OpenAI's GPT or BARD and things like that. And the major technology vendors, <laughs> they are well aware of this, right? The, we're talking about the major incumbent megatech platforms, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and others. 
And they sort of look kind of longingly. They're like, oh, we remember the days when everybody was on our platform and using our platform for everything. Now it looks like they're all embedding these AI models. I wish that could be us. So, of course, you know, they got money and they got influence. So what they're doing is they've been making large investments and establishing, honestly, control positions in some of the most critical AI systems that are being embedded by everybody, the vast majority of solutions that are out there. So... We already had seen a little glimpse of what this kind of control position means. Remember, there was a little bit of drama not too long ago when uh, Microsoft, when well, well, OpenAI basically fired the CEO Sam Altman and hired him back after a short little weekend break. Uh, because primarily Microsoft, uh, who was the major investor in OpenAI, uh, exerted their their position, their control. And, you know, really, uh, I think, shined the light on, oh, wait a second here. Maybe OpenAI is not really its own little tech company. Maybe these big vendors have their fingers in the pies of all these uh, companies. So, you know, yeah, Microsoft pulled their investor strings to ensure that not only did they get the continued value of their $10 billion investment in OpenAI, but also that the solutions that they were building that are increasingly dependent on these open AI models, they're going to continue to develop in the way they want. They're, they weren't just looking at, oh my goodness, our $10 billion. They're thinking, wait a second, we're building all this stuff on top of it. If it starts to go the way we don't want, we're going to have problems. Well, what do we think about this? Yeah. Right. So, you know, in recent years, maybe the past decade or so in particular, we've seen megatech companies establish venture arms to invest in the latest new startup. But we've really seen an increase in that in recent years. And these megatech companies have even dwarfed the funding rounds of some major venture capital firms. And some have even reported that these tech companies are starting to push out VC as the most strategic investors in the space. When you take a step back to think about that, that is really crazy. You know, it's like these venture arms were built on the back of VC funds to begin with. And right. so it's just continuing to be invested. And with this recent surge of an interest in generative AI, megatech companies are in the race for AI dominance. And that really should come as no surprise to anybody. So you need to take a step back. We always say, you know, do some critical thinking here. There's really only two ways to dominate with new technology, and that's build or buy. However, the industry is moving way too fast to build your way to dominance. So what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard for Microsoft to say, oh, look at OpenAI's ChatGPT4 model. We're going to throw like, you know. Build that in a week. Yeah, yeah no. Throw a thousand engineers. You got to get the data. You got to get the GPUs. It's like, let's outrace them. They they know that's actually not possible. It's interesting. We're in this competitive cycle where it's very hard for even a company like Microsoft to outrace a firm like OpenAI. So what are they doing instead? Well, you know, uh, they're, they're, well, the opposite thing that you can do is you can buy. I mean, if you can't build, you buy. However, it's not that easy in this case because if Microsoft were just to straight out acquire OpenAI, just like buy them, now they're part of, of Microsoft, a whole bunch of people would stop using it, right? So it would have this weird effect where people are like, well, I can't, you know, I'm embedding it in my solution. Now, now I'm embedding the Microsoft thing. I'm not going to do that. So Microsoft can't actually do a straight out acquisition because these rapidly growing emerging tech companies, it might scare away those who are still very early in their AI adoption, and that's actually the majority of the market, they're still testing things. They're still, they're, they're yes, they're using GPT. They they got to like some crazy amount of revenue very quickly, but 
people are still very early. I mean, they could decide not to do it. They could be like, well, I was just testing things out and boom, you know, that whole thing can just collapse. So rather than just acquiring companies like OpenAI or Anthropic and things like that, companies like Microsoft and Al Alphabet, which is Google's holding company and Meta and AWS, they're simply just investing heavily in them as partners. And this has caught the attention of federal regulators uh, for obvious reasons. The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which was stood up to begin with back in the early part of the 1900s to bust the monopolies, right? And, you know, anti-competitive practices. They, they are recently launched an inquiry into these generative AI investments and partnerships. And the uh, FTC has la launched this inquiry into generative AI specifically, and they're focusing on these investments and partnerships among key players like Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft. And they're going to scrutinize the competitive dynamics, this is what they said, within the AI sector to try to ensure innovation and fairness. And they're going to conduct some studies to see how enforcers, that's the Federal Trade Commission enforcement, can gain a better understanding of the market trends and practices to see what might be anti-competitive behavior. But kind of, I think by the way we're explaining, we could say this is... This is a cause for concern. I don't think that, you know, the markets are too early to say that there have been some, you know, actual anti-competitive monopolistic practices here, but it's not hard to see how that could happen. And so part of the reason why we're talking about this on this podcast is to sort of shine a light here and say, hey, wait a second, folks, you have a you have a, a, the opportunity right now to not make this problem any worse uh, by not doing that. I mean, the big thing is that whoever shapes the vendor landscape for today's AI solutions are going to absolutely dominate the space for the AI market because organizations are going to increasingly embed these AI, these foundation models, these large language models in their solutions and their applications. And then they're going to go and turn around and sell those. So it's going to be this big dependency here where it's all starting to be dependent. And a couple of small players are going to reap the huge benefits from all these companies building their products like an LLM toilet or a toothbrush or a car, yeah. whatever it is. They're all making calls to this one, you know, <laughs> API or something. You know, you're and paying. We had said that a few years yeah. ago in a podcast and in our predictions that these, you know, there would be a few companies that really dominated in this space, and it's definitely proving, definitely proving to be the case. So just a few years ago, there were very few models in the market that you could use off the shelf and embed in your systems with a high degree of relevancy and performance. And we say back in the day, back in the day in AI space, you know, a right. couple months may feel like decades. Right. <laughs> so back in the day, if you wanted to build any kind of, you know, natural language processing application, such as a chatbot or sentiment analysis solution, even, you know, computer vision application, such as image or object recognition, uh, you know, if we're looking at different patterns of AI or predictive analytics applications, really any of the patterns of AI, hyper-personalization, autonomous systems, you had to start from scratch just back in the day, you know, just a few years ago, things really evolved quickly. And so back in the day, you started with the business understanding. So we make sure that we make sure that we're actually solving a real problem and that AI is the correct solution for that. Then you develop and you prepare your data, which we know data is the heart of AI. That's incredibly important. Then you're going to build and evaluate your models, operationalize them in the cloud or in your local environment, and really follow those best practices um, and methodologies for running AI projects. We're big advocates of CPM AI, uh, but you know you need to make sure that you are following a methodology, especially back in the day. But now, even so, it is still incredibly important. Right. 
But the, here's the thing that this is why generative AI has uh, and large language models and foundation models has changed the market so much because you don't have to do a lot of that work anymore. Now you can use one of these broad foundation models, such as any of the generative AI solutions and the large language models, and you can shortcut many of those steps. So, you know, while you still may need, you know, you still need a business understanding, you still need to know that you're using the right data and it needs to be prepared correctly and you need to get the model out and evaluate it. So generally, you still need to use all six phases of CPMAI. The one thing you don't have to do is build the models from scratch anymore. You don't have to. You don't, you don't have to develop and prepare a large training data set which you have to clean. You don't have to spend the time and effort of actually doing the model-based training or the data labeling. You don't have to spend the effort optimizing hyperparameters and doing things like algorithm selection or building ensemble models. These models are there. I mean, they're literally off the shelf. You can use them right now. And people are, by the way, for all sorts of things. And you just make an API call to them or maybe a couple lines of Python code, right? So why do you even need the old school approach? Why do we need to gather data and train the models and do all this sort of stuff? And I think that is really what the big change is here, right? This is sort of like the same idea when we were going from on-premise to the cloud. It's like people are like, all the cloud is is just instead of it being my servers, it's somebody else's servers. And someone's like, well, it's not the technology, it's the mindset change. You're thinking, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to run my own data center. Somebody else can run a data center and worry about backups and security and all that sort of stuff. I can just use the cloud, right? And the exact same thing is happening right now with foundation models because the broad applicability of foundation models is very appealing. But we have a problem now. Now we have this issue. We have a new form of vendor lock-in. So the more that we depend on these foundation models, because we didn't build it ourselves, we don't have the data, we can't train it, we're not doing any of that sort of stuff, we're just using it, the more bad things can happen. Uh, either you know the, the foundation models can just change in the way they work, they can change in their performance, uh, capabilities that we might have had one day might be gone the next day. This happens a lot, right? Things that might have been free might now be more expensive. Things that might have cost something might cost even more. We also have issues of like maybe the, the platforms are going to start moderating, restricting the kinds of data I can put into it or take out to it. Uh, you know, just very recently, you know, I'm very happy using uh, the image generation capability in GPT-4, but all of a sudden they decided instead of outputting PNG files, they're outputting WebP. I have no idea why. You can't change that behavior. It feels very powerless to do something about it, and it just seems strange, right? So there's probably a reason for it, but it's not your platform, so you have no control over it. So a lot of these issues are, are really causing problems. And I think people aren't really thinking this through. And they're just like, we can do an AI solution tomorrow with some generative thing. Give me a couple of hours and I got a rag, which we talked about, and it'll all work so great, right? Uh, but we got some problems. Right. And I mean, and I get why people, you know, may want to do that because they feel like they're behind. They want to move forward. They want to implement something quickly. But you really do need to be mindful of this. And, you know, what does this mean for you at the end of the day? If your organization is looking to implement AI in their applications, well, you do have some choices. So we talked about you can build your models from scratch, which really is the old way of doing things. You can also use single vendor foundation models, which is definitely the fast way to do it. Or you can combine multiple vendor foundation models and this is the unsure if it actually works way. Or you can use open source foundation models, which we say really is the safe way. 
So it's that last choice. It's using that open source foundation models that is the most compelling currently. And if it's not you for you, if you don't think so, it really should be. Because there's a number of models in which not only the model is available for download, use, and embedding today for free, but also you can peer into the model's code, the details, the weights, and the final trained model so you can make the changes yourself. And you can also see all aspects of this. You know, we talk a lot about transparency. And with a lot of these, you know, many of these models are performing just as well or, you know, as these not so open alternatives on the market. And even the ones with quote unquote open in their company name. It really, you know, we talk a lot about transparency and trust, and you really want to make sure that you're understanding what you're using. And without visibility into that, you're just using it blindly. And like Ron said, things can change on a dime and you're really powerless to do much. You know, I don't, I want, I just want a PNG file. Like, why is that so hard to get? And why did you change that? Like why? Just overnight. <laughs> So I think I think you know so that's sort of like sort of like the second half here of this you know podcast if you will because the first half was setting up like why we think this is so important to talk about because there are sort of these clouds on the horizon with where these big uh, AI model platforms are going and you know these big technology vendors there aren't dopes they they can see the writing on the wall they know where things are going and some of them are were very concerned of their own existence like oh my goodness people aren't going to aren't going to be using google search anymore we better do something about it but come out with some model and but also in this on the back of their their minds those same companies are like well let's also invest just in case in these other models in case they start using them so it's it's kind of interesting and so our thought is okay the reason why people like them, let's just put this out there. The reason why people like OpenAI and, and things like um, the Anthropic models is because they work very well and they're very easy to use. I mean, literally anybody can go to the website, type in a prompt and get a remarkable result. And Kathleen and I will probably say it was probably more remarkable a year ago than it is now, but it is remarkable result, or maybe our maybe our expectations have changed. And also with, they can do this with um, little to no expertise in the in the field as well you know like they don't need to be ai experts you don't need to have a lot of data scientists or data engineers on your team and you can and you can use these right. yeah i can't say go write a couple lines of python even if you can cut and paste it the question is like, well where do you put it how do you run it you know there's all this you don't need to worry about any of those things right um but like so so what do we mean by the open source the alternatives to these really great models people are using well we don't we could be talking about the technology on which we build the AI models, and that is actually already open source. I think that's the interesting thing. It's like most even Amazon and Microsoft and Google and OpenAI, they're all they're building their machine learning models with open source technology. Python, TensorFlow, Scikit, all those sorts of things. And, and so using open source technology to build a closed source model, as you can kind of see, doesn't really inform the whole picture. It's like, I'm glad you're using these tools, which you didn't pay anything for, and maybe you're, maybe you're not contributing to the open source economy, but the outputs of them are these closed systems. So really what's more important than the technology that we use to build the models, it's the output. It's the models themselves. How open, how can we share these models? models in a way that others can use them, embed them, change them, modify them without having to be behind a wall where somebody else controls their uh, behavior. Exactly. And, and you know, your, your ability sometimes to move forward with what you're doing. So we all, you know, we say, despite the word open 
in its name, there really is very little that is open about OpenAI. And you can access their models via an API call, and you can get some understanding of what went into building that model. But you don't get a holistic picture. You don't get to see the training data, which is important because we have shown in previous podcasts, you can have errors in your training data, which impacts the output of that. And also, more importantly, you can't see the model weights and details of the model, so you can configure it how you like. You also can't run these models on your own platforms. So this, again, is incredibly important because if you don't have insights into what's going on, how are you fully trusting this? You're just really blindly trusting this. And the most popular large language model, OpenAI's ChatGPT and also Google Bard, are proprietary. That means that they're owned by a company and can only be used by those who accept the terms of a free license or pay the license fees for embedding it in their solutions. And these licenses provide some capabilities, but also restrictions on how to use the LLM. And also, just to be very clear, you have agreed to these terms and conditions once forever. I think a lot of people are starting to understand that with Google, for example, you know, many years ago, I don't know, a decade plus ago, I accepted the terms and conditions to get Gmail and now it's changing. And also, um, it's now, you know, we shared in one of our, our newsletters how um, I think it was Microsoft is now reading your emails back in perpetuity forever. If you want to use one of their uh large language models. I think it was incorporating BARD, and we can link to that article in the show notes. That That's not what I agreed to when I signed up 10 years ago, but no. now I'm locked into that platform. And now right. if I want to keep using it, I got to accept it. And you get exactly. to read my emails forever. Exactly. That's the thing like the lawyers say, well, you can always just stop using it. And we're like, yeah, thank you. Come on, really? I know. Like, it's like, imagine you're living in your house and you had to agree to the terms of conditions. And one day the house says, uh, well, uh, the to- you cannot use the toilets anymore and, you know, or something like that. You have to pay a fee. <laughs> something. And you're like, that's stupid. You're like, well, you can always just leave your house. I'm like, what, what, what kind of explanation is that? It's a stupid. I mean, I, look, I, I'm, I haven't been a, a Google user. I'm not big on Gmail, but I do use a lot of other Google products, Google Docs and things like that. But like, it's very hard to tell someone who's entirely dependent on Gmail. Well, you can always just stop using Gmail. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> I have to uproot all of my email to like not use your system because you decided to be like this. This is why the Google, which started out as do not be evil. Well, I think we all know how to, how that went. So, so let's talk about what we want from our open source AI solutions. And really what we're talking about is, yes, I mean, there, there have been, I mean, we've talked about this, gosh, for years. There are a bunch of models that you can use off the shelf. But I'd say prior to about a year ago, they tended to be very single purpose. Like I could find a model that would like do things like image recognition, where it would tell me what's in an image. There was a really popular model called YOLO, you only look once, where it basically would say, yeah, there's a person in this image and you can embed it in a browser and things like that. And there might've been a, a model that you could have gotten for sentiment analysis and a separate model for this. But they were so specific and purpose-built that when we did our training for CPMAI, we would talk about these pre-trained models and say, usually the right thing to do is to take the pre-trained model, download it, and then modify it, you know, uh, tailor it to your need, what's called fine tune it, and then make it specific to your needs. However, what we're talking about right now are foundation models. And foundation models are not just any model that's off the shelf. It's one that's been trained on so much data. 
and and, and is so uh, broadly applicable that it's not just single purpose. So the thing about a large language model, we talked about this in our previous podcast, is that you can use it for any LNLP task. Sentiment analysis, yep. Conversational system, yep. Q&A on some documents, sure. Uh, you can even use it to like upload an image and tell me what the text is in the image, OCR. So you can do it for all these things. And this is one mega model, right? It's not just a 20 different tiny little mini models. It's one mega model. And it's a mega model that people want. And the thing is, is that when we want to build an open source AI model, it's not that we want to build like a whole bunch of tiny, we want to build the equivalent or we want to have at our disposal the one foundational model that is open source that performs equivalently to these uh, commercial ones, because otherwise we won't use it. Like, what's the purpose of like a hundred tiny little open source AI models that each do something okay? When it's like, look, it's not worth it. I might as well just spend the twenty bucks, whatever, and just go to OpenAI's ChatGPT, even though it's close. So when we're talking about OpenAI, the open machine learning models, we're actually talking about building open source models for uh, that are foundational models. And there's a there's a bunch that are out there. We're going to share some of those with you. And that's what we want uh, to support. Exactly. So now, you know, we talk about closed source large language models, and they have some advantages as well. So they've already been tweaked with reinforcement learning to perform optimally. They have filters to moderate based infor biased information, uh, inappropriate language, and also questionable content. So to make sure that that doesn't fall through the cracks. As also and also some security features to prevent inappropriate access and tampering. And also they're usable right off the shelf, which is incredibly important because you can just use it right away. Yeah. And, and we said like, but but of course the problems with closed source LLMs is you don't have control over their over the capabilities. Uh you can't choose to run them wherever you want to run them. Uh, you know, you don't have control over that behavior. We talked about, yes, it's good that these open AI systems and things have moderation and filters, but sometimes that's not good for you. You don't like that, you know? Uh, you know, the features can change, what's premium free versus premium, the pro the cost can get jacked up, and you have lack of control over the availability. And yes, you can fine-tune them. They do have ways of like making them specific, but but you can't retrain the whole model. So 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 we have a couple of advantages, of course, to the open source LLMs, and we're gonna share a few of them uh, with you. Exactly. So there are advantages, you know, a few advantages to these open source large language models. You one of the like major ones is reduced vendor dependency or reduced lock-in. So open source solutions allow you to have the freedom in how you deploy and operationalize the models, as well as the ability to use multiple models in conjunction with one another. They also have enhanced data security and privacy. So a large language model that you can own and run means that you're in control of the data you share and the main the maintenance of privacy on your prompts and your large language model responses. This has come under scrutiny a lot lately with, you know, organizations and government agencies saying yes or no to allowing my employees to be able to use this because some of them are saying, well, you know, for 80% of the things that you that you might type in, it's very mundane, but for 20%, you could be releasing things that I don't want shared with the public. And so because I can't control that 20%, I'm going to give it a 100% ban. Um, where if you're, you know, using these open source, you can have that enhanced data privacy. 
Also, there's cost savings and reduced vendor dependency. So without having license costs to use your models, open source large language models can be less costly over the long term, especially as you embed them increasingly um, with a greater number of systems. Also, you know, sometimes uh, there can be dynamic pricing that's going on. And, you know, uh, <laughs> chat GPT started out as free and now they have a paid model and a paid version. So, and again, you know, that may increase over time. And what's to say that it's not going to go from 20 to 50 to $100 a month? And what are you going to do if you're so locked into that? You're going to have to pay it or you're going to really feel the pain. Also, um, you do have to carry the cost of running the models with with open source, uh, which can be potentially significant. So that needs to be balanced when you're weighing the costs, but also know that that's something that you have more control of. And one thing that I touched upon before, but continue to touch upon is transparency because open source is open by, by, by the name, you know, it is open. So you can see how the models work, their configurations, the training data, and more. And this is incredibly important, especially as you're looking to use this, because you want to make sure that it was trained, we always say, with good, clean data. And if it's labeled data, make sure that it's well-labeled and accurately labeled. You're also going to have improved customization. So since open source large language models are transparent, you can customize them to your particular needs more easily than with the closed versions. And open source has an active community and an active uh, you know, community support that fosters innovation as well. It really is one of the big benefits of open source is that community and it helps it grow and everybody contributes and continues to make it better. Yeah, all the good stuff we like about open source. So why not with AI? If it's going to be so revolutionary, if this technology is so important to you and your organization, why would you not support it in the same way that open source totally has dominated in so many other ways? So um, I think, you know, so there are many examples. I don't want to make this an exhaustive list because there are really many examples of open source LLMs. And I think the other thing is that it's things are moving very fast here. Uh, and I think there, there, there are models that were released like just a couple months ago, then they get re-released. They're even more powerful, more capable. So I just want to give like a brief sort of survey of the space. Some of you who are listening, who are playing with them, uh, especially now, you'll have more expertise. But like people are familiar with things like Llama and Llama 2, which is a, you know, pre generative, uh, pre-trained generative text model, which has seven or 70 billion parameters, depending on the version. And it's been fine-tuned using the exact same technique that ChatGPT assumed, this uh, fine-tuned with this reinforcement learning through human feedback. So it has many of the same capabilities and features and functions very much the same way. There's another one called Bloom, which has, involves volunteers from over 70 countries and experts from Hugging Face, which is well known for the transformer models. It has 176 billion parameters, and it can generate text across 46 languages and 13 programming languages. So it's also pretty big. We also have Mosaics, MPT7B, 7 billion parameter one, trained on over a trillion to tokens of text and code, and it's licensed for commercial use. So you can embed it. Falcon, which is now the 100 80B, it's got even bigger, which is free for commercial use and research use. It's pretty big model, so it does require some significant resources to function. And then I think one of the more notable ones as well is Mistral. And uh, this is actually an interesting case because it was developed by a company. So Mistral 7B was developed by the French company Mistral AI, and it performs at remarkably good levels. And it's licensed under the Apache 2.0 license. I don't want to get into the various open source licenses because there's a bunch. But basically, this is what they say. 
that uh, that they that even though they're a commercial company, they're gonna they release this model that is you can be used without restrictions. You can they say download it and use it anywhere, including locally, which means on your own machine. Uh, with the reference, you can deploy it on the cloud. You can do all this sorts of stuff, but also you can build products around it. So the way that they describe it is that the Apache 2.0 license is a permissive license, meaning that there are very few restrictions on the use of the code. This differs from something else called copyleft, which requires that anybody who builds something on top of that has to also distribute their code using the same software license. So you can't really build something commercial on it because if you give away the original code and they build something on top of it, then you have to give away the thing that you built on top of it. So Apache 2.0 lets you actually build commercial stuff that you don't have to give away on top of the open source stuff. So this Apache license also allows end users to modify parts of the original code under any license as long as it contains the documentation that Apache requires with the code. And because the license doesn't require companies to disclose, their modifications. So you can make any modification you want. You don't have to tell other people what modification you made. And it grants you a patent right. That means you can actually patent the stuff that you've built on top of it. Then it's really good for uh, distributing any open source that enterprises may be interested in using. So I would say the really interesting part about this is that if you're looking to build a commercial solution and you want to embed generative AI, there are models out there that perform possibly as well, if not better, than the commercial model that, that lets you not only embed it, but you can then turn around and sell it and you can patent it. So it's kind of like a lot of like, well, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, I think the reason is because OpenAI and they just got a lot of the attention and it's so easy to use <laughs> that people are using it. But there's lots of stuff and there's even more stuff out there like OPT-175B and XGen7B and GPT-NeoX and Vakuna. There's lots of stuff out there. I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but there's- <laughs> Yeah, there's Ron just rambled those things. <laughs> But, but like, you know, honestly, that that's the thing I want to impress upon you is that there are options and that they're getting better. And, yeah. And I think that honestly, that is the main takeaway here, that there are options. And yeah, and they are getting better. And we laid out the benefits to them as well. So just because you think something may be, quote unquote, easy doesn't mean that it's the right choice and doesn't actually mean that it's easy. Do a little bit of digging and you might find something, an open source option for example, that really is going to be a better fit, especially long-term. You know, we always say think big, start small, and iterate often. So think big and think about that end goal and then start small and iterate. So make sure that you are taking into account what that long-term fee is going to be and what that's going to look like and what happens if something changes tomorrow and you are no longer, you know, your whatever you had that embedded in isn't performing like it used to be. And I think that that really is the main takeaway from this podcast today. So we hope that you've enjoyed the topic of this podcast. If you do enjoy it, make sure to subscribe to AI Today so you can get up uh, notified of all of our upcoming episodes. We have a lot of great topics we're going to be covering. Also, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't done so already. And I will put those links in the show notes. And uh, many of our listeners are uh, big advocates of CPMAI, just like us. And if you'd like to learn more about the Cognitive Project Management for AI, I encourage you to check out our free intro course at aitoday.live slash CPMAI. You can also, I'll link for the CPMAI methodology and certification as well. And for our listeners that have been uh, subscribed to our newsletter as well, you'll see that we also are 
um, speaking a lot more in 2024. So we've been invited to a number of different speaking events. And so that's been wonderful. We have our list in our newsletter and I encourage you to check it out. We will also be posting it onto our Cognolytica LinkedIn page. So make sure to like that page if you haven't done so already so you can get notified. And we would love for our listeners to attend to these, these events as well. Um, some are free, some are not. So you know, make sure to check out that link so that you can see everything we have coming up. But we definitely, we always love to hear from our listeners. We always love to meet you in person. We've been fortunate enough to meet many of our listeners, but we would love to meet more of you. So definitely check that out. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners. To expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need, check it out at aitoday.live list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>